Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler, and uh, today joining me is my good friend Marcel Frazier. You are a you played football at University of Missouri. You played for the Seahawks, the Browns. You are now getting ready to play this fall for the XFL Dragons, dude. Uh, thank you so much for coming over. I appreciate having you. No problem, man. No problem. Good to be here. I got a story for you. You might not know. Uh, you and I went to the same high school together. Mm-hmm. We went to David Douglas High School. You were significantly older than me, though. Mm-hmm. And you were number nine in high school. Mm. And I don't know if you know this. When you left and left David Douglas, I got number nine after you. So I got your old jersey. And I got this tattered, destroyed, like ripped up to shreds jersey. I was like, man, Marcel went hard. I learned like from that jersey. I was like, I didn't, never need to watch you on the field to know this guy went extremely hard. Um, I just wanted to share. I don't know if I ever told you that. Right. Your jersey was just annihilated, man. Right. I, used, I wore it with pride, <laughs> and it was really funny. <laughs> and by the way, you're a defensive end. Why are we wearing number nine? <laughs> Little numbers. I thought I was a wide receiver, man. Was, well, you were. You were. Right. You had some good catches, man. Yeah. Um, I want to start here. Uh, last night, we watched the Rams and the Ravens play. Right, right. What's it like to watch another form to me at a year, Samson Ibacom play mm-hmm. for the Rams? I, I love watching him every, every occasionally on mm-hmm. national TV. He had a game... Uh, last year against the Chiefs, we had two touchdowns on Monday Night Football against Patrick right. Mahomes. I was like, let's go. Like, right. What's it like to watch him for you? Man, watching Samson is just awesome because when you, when you um, know Samson's story, he's just so humble, and mm-hmm. he's he's always just been dedicated to the weight room. Um, yeah. He's a man of faith, I think. He's a family man. And when you meet Samson, it's like you don't necessarily he know that he's an NFL player besides the fact that he's stacked. He's a huge guy. <laughs> you see a gigantic <laughs> man who right. clearly works his butt off. Right, and um, I think that's the best story. I mean, I think he – he thought he was a soccer player growing up. Um, he, you know, he's a Nigerian kid, and yeah. the parents were kind of afraid of football a bit, but, man, he just kept working. And just seeing him, his grind from the combine, I don't even know if he got a combine invite. I think from his pro day to being drafted into immediately being an impact player for the Rams as a, yeah. a rookie, and he's just grown into a consistent pass rusher. Well, what's wild to me is that he didn't have – like, I thought he was going to go to Oregon. Right. I thought, like, he, he had to go to – I love Eastern Washington where he went. It's actually my favorite college. I don't know if you know that. I like – if I have a favorite college team, it's Eastern Washington, which is weird. Right, I love right. their culture. My girlfriend went there. Um, but it's it's weird that he had to go there. Right. Like, he seemed like – I don't know. I, I just – it's cool to see him get out of there and succeed and do so well. I, I really enjoy watching him. Uh, we also saw Lamar Jackson play last night. Mm-hmm. You play defensive end. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted, before we get into the interview and talk about your story, I wanted your opinion. Uh, the Rams did something last night against Lamar Jackson, where I, which I really liked. They said, mm-hmm. we're going to keep him in the pocket. Uh, guys like Samson were not running upfield very far. Right. They took like two steps and kept Lamar in front of them, hoping he would bail out and extend a play outside. And they didn't rush upfield very much, which left Lamar Jackson a ton of time in the pocket, and he shredded the Rams. Right. How in the world would you stop Lamar Jackson? Is there a way? What do you see when you watch Lamar Jackson? Um, in my opinion, I think you, you have to get after him with the pass rush. Mm. You have to try to hit him. But like we were talking about earlier downstairs, you can't really get a square hit on the guy. No. It, it seems like he always wiggles out and kind of worms <laughs> his way out of the big hits. Yeah. So I think you need a pass rush. Um, that's too much pressure on your DBs to sit back and cover. Um, and the Rams kind of had the formula. You'd think they would have it with the pass rushes they had. And uh, we'll see if the Niners – and get after him with their big time pass rushers. Yeah, well, it's interesting. That, that's the team I'm really excited to watch. Mm-hmm. I, I'm skeptical. There's a team that can actually get after them. He's so fast. We we yeah. talked about it downstairs earlier. Uh, I know a guy who coached at Texas A&M against Lamar Jackson and said mm-hmm. that he's never seen a player who goes from zero to top speed as quick as him. he just immediately bam he's right. gone at top speed. Right. Um, and he might not only be one of the, he's not only the best quarterback probably ever to play like as far as a, a, as an athlete to play that position. He might be one of the top five, and in fact, he is 
a top five athlete in the NFL period, let alone be a quarterback. Right. I don't know. Like, I'm not confident that the, the even the 49ers can corral him. Um, and then he's getting straight with his arm. I just look at Lamar and go, man, I don't know how you possibly stop him. Um, I, I just am so – I love watching him. So, do, you, do you enjoy watching him? Oh, yeah, no, no doubt. Ever since he was at Louisville. I remember I saw a high school clip of him when they used to do the short high, uh, the clips on Instagram. Yeah. Him doing like a crazy spin move, backstepping a guy, <laughs> and the guy down there doing a front flip because he got juked so bad. And then he just – progression just kept continuing to get better and better and better. And now you just see this explosive Miami kid – Fast as heck, who could sling the ball? Did you see the play he had in high school where he was running down the sideline and yep. he just put on the brakes, he stops. That's the play I'm talking about. Yep. <laughs> he just walks into the end zone yeah. and you're like, oh my god. And you're just God. like, what is this? Is this like youth football? But it was high school and <laughs> yeah. that was Lamar Jackson. That's Miami football. Right. Like, yeah. Dang. Um, I want to get into you now. Huh? You and I talked around the time of the, the Alliance of American Football was right. a a football league that was very brief, a couple mm-hmm. games, and it folded. I went to a game, actually. It was quite fun. Right. Um, but you did not buy into the AAF. Mm-hmm. And you always told me, man, the XFL's coming, the XFL's coming. So you're playing the XFL this fall. I guess it's in the spring, mm-hmm. which I can't, I can't wait, man. I'm really excited to watch the XFL because I just love football. Right. And more football means a lot to me. Why did you believe in the XFL when you didn't believe in the AAF? Um, I just think it had to do with um, having a great agent and a great agency. Mm. Um, that is connected to uh, the CEO, who is Mr. Luck. And they kind of just told me, man, the AFF's money is not that great. Yeah. Now, they were getting players. I had friends signing up to play. It was a good check. I think it might have been six grand a week, which is not bad to play football. Yeah. Um, but there was no long-term money. And you saw what Vince has done with the XFL. He sold, I want to say, three, $300 million of stocks about last year, maybe a little bit over 12 months ago. So they have longevity as far as financial backing in the league. You look at their TV partnerships, ESPN, ABC, Fox, FS1. They have all those partnerships well before the season started. Um, They believe in it. The big networks believe in the XFL. Yes, they do believe in it. And the AFF, I think it could have succeeded. It's just their big-time sponsorships, the money never came through. Yeah. Um, and we all know this is this is America. Things are money based. You can't just have a dream without having financial backing. Yeah. Especially a sport as expensive football. And so my agent said, Hey man, I know you're chopping at the bit to get out there. Don't sweat it though. We're gonna see what happens with the AFF. Not gonna talk negative about it, but we'll see if it's even around in a couple months from now. Yeah. And I remember telling you specifically, I don't know, man, my sources say that <laughs> this thing is out of there. Yeah. And um, it kind of came to fruition that the money just wasn't there. Great players, great talent, and great vision, just no money. Yeah, I should have listened to you, man. I was—I think I was just so excited. I was like a prisoner of the moment. I was right. like, man, we have football. It's not football season. I was all in for it. Right. And uh, you were right, man. You kept saying, man, the XFL's coming, the XFL's right. coming. And I think you're right that there's a significant amount of capital mm. behind the XFL. I mean, they have the WWE's money behind it. Yeah. And that, that means that they can survive for a while without inc- – they can get through it. I'm just excited to watch it, man. Right. I think it's going to work. Um, you are you're getting ready to play. Mm-hmm. What does that process look like? You're training, you're eating. Like, what is that process getting ready for a season to play professionally? What does that look like from your side? Man, um, first of all, just keeping your body healthy. Mm. So when it comes to training, a big thing is um, gaining straight strength, maintaining strength. But the hugest thing is maintaining health. Mm. You don't want to. Um, what I learned from NFL prep is that you shouldn't load up the bar on back squats too many times a week. Yeah. So I try to back squat usually once every seven days, if that. 
I do more jumping and explosive movement. Um, like squat jumps and agility stuff? Agility stuff yeah. and double jumps. Moving your own weight. Moving your own weight and quick twitch, doing it mm. fast. Moving your weight extremely quick, extremely explosive. Yeah. Um, so I learned, listen to your body, yes, but it is grind time. So I have been working out twice a day for probably the past two months before that. I was consistently working out once a day. I've been cranking up my cardio to about six to ten miles on the bike every day, Man. which is the best low impact you could do for cardio. Because mm. um, big guy like me, tall guy, it's knee pain and ankle pain. Like running, running on yeah. a track, for example, would just destroy your knees, right? Destroy them. Yeah. So um, there's people who do it, but when you're 255 pounds, 260, <laughs> no. your anatomy is not really yeah. fit to just high impact on that. It's funny. I did you a disservice. You're sitting in a chair like really low because <laughs> like, I did the best I could in my, right. my weird little place. You look small probably on camera. Right. He's not a small man. <laughs> you look at There's a picture of us on Instagram right. where I look like your son. Like I look like a little kid next to you. <laughs> it's really funny. Yeah. Um, do you ever get in the pool? Does that, um, that's another low impact. I, I used to when I had – when NFL training, man, uh, we did a lot of just recovery stuff in the pool because mm. it's low impact. And even when I was on the Browns, a lot of their recovery days would be laps and would be mm. running laps and would be pool workouts because, like you said, it's not a lot of pressure on the joints. And yeah. on the Browns, when you have 320-pound guys, you can get a lot out of the pool where your weight is virtually um, nothing. So I don't personally do it just because I don't trust these local pools at my gyms. <laughs> I just don't, man. It's kind of yeah. Jeremy Place. But um, maybe when I get back to prepping next year, I can get back into it. Here's, here's a question that I, I have only been able to ask one other person this. Um, what's it like to prepare for a pro day? You're at Mizzou. Mm, yeah. You're getting ready for the NFL. What does that look like? What's a pro day like? I mean, how many people were there? Man. They're just taking notes. It's probably weird, right? Pro day, man, it was... It's kind of, it's just like a combine at your school, but um, mm. it's it's you know you have anywhere from twenty to thirty five scouts representing yeah. anywhere from twenty to thirty from twenty to all thirty two um, NFL teams, and leading up to it is just like strict eating, strict working out, mental preparation, um, learning the interview questions to say with mm. the NFL teams. Um, What's that process like? I mean, I sorry. I by the way, I asked you a pretty awful question. I just mm. said. What's it like? How do you right. answer that? You you're doing uh, you're preparing for interviews. Mm-hmm. What is that? Do they have a person who meets with you? What yeah. what is that process like? So sometimes it'll be your agency that preps you. Mm-hmm. Um, for for me, it was the training place I was training at, which mm-hmm. XO's down in Carlsbad, California. They had an entire class basically dedicated to it. And the way they do their training is they bring in a position coach who played in the NFL or had experience at high level co- uh, college athletics. So we had a guy who played at uh, University of Kansas, um, big big time D tackle in the NFL, and he came back and he just would ask us some questions on the fly, ask our opinion of things, and then we would go out for field work. And then before that, you would be you know working out, lifting, and after that, you would be working out and lifting. But just a position guy, and it wasn't too too strict because they get their money up front. So they're like, if you don't want to show up, <laughs> don't show up. Yeah. Like your agency has paid a lot of money, so. Here's something I think people don't really appreciate about athletes very often is a lot of the time when you're an athlete, you get interviewed and you're, it's after a game mm-hmm. or it's in a locker. You're tired. Mm-hmm. What's it like to get interviewed when you're tired and maybe you just played a whole football game? Man, um, credit to the guys, the <laughs> D tackles and the O linemen who have to think straight after clashing with 300-pound men for what, three, three hours. Yeah. It's a lot, man. It's um, emotional, like overload. Um you just played in a stadium of 60,000 yelling people. 
playing in the SEC, a lot of those games would be like 80 degrees or like 70% humidity. And you kind of like have to gather yourself quickly. And your media person might give you a couple of prompts, but it's like you're in there and there's there's 10 to 15 <laughs> cameras and 10 to 15 um, interviewers and you're just kind of out of it and you're, you're just trying your best. So it was – some days you're just over it, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, after the losses, when they, they ask the hard-hitting oh. questions, it's absolutely hard and – you're just trying to keep your composure and trying to stay calm. But honestly, you just want to get home, get to your bed, and kind of knock out. I'm going to ask you, I, I did not prepare you for this question at all. Don't answer if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. But we saw recently where uh, the Browns were playing the Steelers, mm-hmm. and we saw what Miles Garrett did. He hit Mason Rudolph over the head with a helmet. Mm-hmm. And obviously, like, and you ha- I have to say this, right? It's the politically correct thing to say is that's terrible. You can't do it. Of course, right? You can't hit mm-hmm. someone with a helmet. But I, I think my initial reaction when I saw that was something I, I felt weird about, and I knew I probably couldn't say, but I'm going to say it anyways. I was like, Miles Garrett's in the moment, man. How do you go from you're in a mindset where you're going to murder a guy, like you're right. playing defensive end where your job is to attack. Mm-hmm. How do you turn that off? I, I know you have to, right? In that right. in heated moment, you got to have composure and control mm-hmm. yourself. But is there anything to that where you're playing defensive end and there's a heat of the moment? Do you, do you, do you sympathize at all with Miles Garrett, um, and don't answer in a way that hurts you. I'm just curious because yeah. I'm like, I saw Miles Garrett, and I was like, man, yeah. I do feel a little bit for that. Yeah, I sympathize with both guys for sure. Uh, I think each guy, you look back onto that. Mason doesn't do that, and if Mason's at dinner or at a bar, uh, he wouldn't do that. At oh all. no, Miles, he wouldn't be in his nothing. No. Yeah. And Miles at dinner or at a bar, he wouldn't do that because um, Miles is just like he seems like actually a mild mannered, pretty very, nice guy. He's very mild mannered, and Mason um, comes from a great family. Um, so, but when you put on those pads, and you're kind of like in that gladiator zone. Mm. I think people's brains, like you said, they get into attack mode. They get into fight mode. It's kind of kill or be killed, and that's kind of like the overall culture of football. It's kind of based off militaristic yeah. values. So people literally use like war um, war sayings when you're getting ready for a football game. So it's it's an unfortunate situation, and you know Mason's not starting right now, and Miles is suspended from the Who league right now yeah. for how long? And for so. good, like he deserves it, right? But I I just like. That's part of the the weird part of the game is you have to go from very quickly like this attack mode, mm-hmm. this you're in the zone, right. and then somehow be able to make good decisions between plays. Like it's very, it's just there. There is, I, I I just I sympathize just a little bit where it's like I know it's hard to go from one mindset to another very quickly. Oh, definitely. it's still inexcusable, but man, I, I just sympathize with that. Definitely, yeah. Turn you, off the savage mode. You played it at Missouri. Yep. In the SEC, mm-hmm. like the big boy football league. Right, right. Uh, what was that? What's it like to play an SEC football game? Man. Because <laughs> you you played Oregon high school football, right? then JUCO football, right. and then went to the SEC, the big stage, man. I, I can't imagine what that's like. It was it was insane. There would be, you know, I played at LSU on their homecoming. Oh. Um, I played at Georgia on their homecoming. Played at Florida on their homecoming. Played at Tennessee twice. And we're talking about stadiums who have 90 to 102,000 people. And you just... The adrenaline you have from, uh, I think, any game, but specifically when you just got done with Death Valley or you just Dude, left. Dude, that's Maylin. the coolest name. Like, I, there's that sign at Death Valley. Like, mm-hmm. Death Valley? Are you yeah. kidding me? That's the it's, name of their stadium? It's crazy, man. It's <laughs> um, you, you get home, and some nights you don't sleep until, like, 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. because you're just high off in adrenaline. Mm. But it was it was, it was was an experience for sure that I'll value. And um, I guess since I'm so – close to being removed from it. Like, it's only been two years removed. So yeah. It doesn't really hit me, but if I stay on the West Coast and I kind of get older and I, I tell my old war stories and stuff and everybody's talking about Pac-12 or Big Sky and things like that, like, 
I take value in, I think when I was in the SEC, it was only me and the Hollister brothers mm. down in one place for the Patriots and I think the Seahawks now. But we were the mm. only guys in the whole conference. You're talking about a conference with a thousand-some players. We're yeah. the only three guys from the state of Oregon. Mm. Um, and when I was at Mizzou, I think it was only me and another kid from the West Coast. And as I got older, they recruited more Cali kids. And we had one, I think, Seattle kid. Yeah, you go to Missouri, man. There's not a lot of Northwest people over there, right? No, not, not really. No, no. Average students, you get some Seattle, some Portland, mm. some West Coast. A lot of West Coast Coasters, actually, um, mm. Bay Area, L.A. Because there's a good journalism school. There's reasons to go to Mizzou. There's reasons. Was that a big culture shock to go from – you went from Portland to Northern California yeah. to Missouri. Mm-hmm. What's that like? It was definitely culture shock, man. Uh, just different. It was super hot. Like, it was insanely hot. Like, the summer there, when I talk about, like, you look at your phone, it says 78 to, like, 83. You're like, okay, cool. Like, this is regular clothes weather because 78 in Portland, no humidity. Yeah. Maybe a tiny east wind breeze. um, Maybe even some cloud cover. Mm Mm-hmm. But in Missouri, it was like 80% humidity. Oh. Instantly. Hit you like a wall. Like a wall, literally. Like a wall. And then I remember having that first huge thunderstorm, just getting woken up in the middle of the night and just literally sounds like somebody trying to break into your dorm window. That's Mm. how loud the thunder was. And then just the type of football and just the intensity of a workout. Yeah. Where like when you're doing your running workouts, you're in a bowl stadium and it's about, you know, if if it's 90 degrees outside, the stadium's going to be like 110 degrees. And you're forced and just the way people push themselves to finish an expectation and Juco, maybe there's 10 high-level guys who push themselves at every workout. If there's 120 kids on the field at Missouri, 90% of them are given 100% effort yeah. and just insanely talented. So um, you look you look around and you're like, man, like we're all the same speed. <laughs> it's not like it's Juco where it's one guy up here and one guy down here. Like you know that guy in Juco is going to the next level. Right. And at Mizzou, it sounds like everyone just can play. Yeah, everyone can play, man. How do you stand out in that? environment where everyone's so good Ooh, what worked for me was um consistency mm. what worked for me was consistency um i think i came late to one workout ever in three years mm. uh, when i first got there one of the weakest d linemen in the weight room by far yeah by far like it was i was always one of the faster and one of the quickers by the time my senior year came around one of the stronger guys um not the strongest just not my body type yeah. But by my senior year, came around for sure the fastest guy by far. Um, but it was just consistency, man. Never, never, never failed to class. Never got maybe got one D ever. Mm. Um, like I said, came late to one work. They knew they could rely on you. Exactly. And yeah. It's not. Al- it's not always about talent. Obviously, it matters in the SEC. Yeah. But if a coach can't rely on you, um, he can't really work on work with you. Well, that's an interesting thing. At defensive end, mm-hmm. I think people think your job is just to be a battering ram all the time. There is scheme that goes on behind the scenes. What does that look like? What kind of scheme do you design or run into as a defensive end? Um, so it was interesting. We had a very kind of like exotic blitz package. My my first year there was a sophomore season. And we were, I think, top five defense in the nation. So we did a ton of slanting, mm-hmm. a ton of dropping back. A ton of one-on-one coverage with the running back, um, yeah. which we call peel plays. So there will be a play where... Sometimes you'll guard a running back. Yep. Sometimes you'll blitz. Sometimes you'll uh, you'll you got to worry about your gap, correct? Mm-hmm. At times, at times. Yeah, you'll ba- drop off in coverage. You'll mm-hmm. cover the running back one on one. You have a lot of responsibility a other than just going after the quarterback. A ton of it. A ton of it. How do you determine? Like, did they signal in? 
you're this gap, you're that gap, this play. How does how do you follow that? Because you got to be locked into the defense all the time. Right. So we had a um, we had a wristband, and so the wristband my sophomore year was pretty loaded. And you just kind of mm-hmm. in your brain you connect key terms to what you do. So like I said, peel or purple means you take the back. Um, mm-hmm. Slanting or long stick, which means you're slanting to the B gap, or long stick may mean you're slanting to the A gap. Yeah. Now, sometimes those terms aren't in the blitz itself. The blitz might be called red to fire. Sure. So a fire may mean you got to get B gap. So in your brain, you have to conceptualize fire, B gap, fire, B gap. And the faster you can do that, the faster you're going to be able to play. But sometimes, man, you don't know what the heck is going on. You just <laughs> sometimes <laughs> you go hit somebody. You go hit somebody. Yeah. Uh, so there, but there was times I remember, you know, Sony Michelle from the Patriots, mm-hmm. there was a pill play. And we're at Georgia, and it's like three to six. And it's the the play is peel. And so I peeled on Sonny Michelle. They never throw the ball to him. <laughs> they threw the ball to him this time, and I had to get an open field tackle on a guy who ended up being, I think, a first or second round pick. Mm. But it's just on first the First round pick, yeah, it was the last pick of the first round. First round pick. And the guy, that, that's a team with Chubb, and your brain just has to fire and be ready. But um, that's the biggest thing is just playing fast and – the better you can memorize and conceptualize and use key terms for the schemes, the faster you can play. So it was homecoming against Georgia. Was that by any chance a night game? Yeah, every every time we played Georgia it was night games. Dude, I that's one of my you don't, you may not know this one of my dreams. I've gone to like Washington State football games, mm-hmm. which there's like thirty five thousand people there. Right, right. I've been at, I've worked at Eastern Washington games. I've never been to a true like SEC game. One of my dreams is to go to a game a night game at Georgia. What is that atmosphere like? There's a cool moment where they turn the lights off and the flash yeah. red everywhere. Describe so, that. When I was there, they didn't do the red. Um, oh. That was new. They got the LED installed, I think, recently. But when mm-hmm. I was there, they had the Georgia towels, kind of like the terrible towels mm-hmm. from Pittsburgh. So they'd be waving them, but it's just weird sensation you get. When there's 80,000 people waving something, you almost get, like, seasick. <laughs> and you get, like, a motion sickness and, like, you get, like, this buzz throughout your body. Yeah. Because it's 80,000 people basically yelling and screaming and stomping and waving a towel. So yeah. it's, like, sensory overload. So your body is, like, the adrenaline gives you, like, this type of high and, like, motion sickness. That is, it's kind of hard to explain, but it's pretty interesting. You're at Death Valley. Can you hear anything? You can hear a little bit. I mean, you're, bit. you're on defense, so they're yeah. probably quiet for the offense. Yeah. But it was, like, literally, it was it was buzzing. It was just... Man, I think so. They had Little Fournette. He didn't play, so we got Darius Geis <laughs> as a supplement. Oh, uh, <laughs> so, I was gonna be like, you had a break, and you're like, well, another NFL running back stepped up. <laughs> so we get Darius Geis in his coach O's first game as the head coach at Orgeron. Coach, that's yeah. awesome. So it was insane. It was homecoming, hundred two thousand night game, and you just get like this weird, like almost motion sick thing because the whole crowd looks like a continuous wave almost. Yeah, it doesn't look like a single entity. It's just mm. like a continuous like wave of. Um, Emotion and just chaos. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I, you, where was I going to, I had a, a question. Um, you got your master's degree, which mm-hmm. is a really, I think, rare thing to do for a lot of college football players, get their degree, they go ball. Mm-hmm. You took academics really, really seriously, which is, I, I just very, first of all, I commend you for it. I look up to you a lot for that. Talk about that decision to go get your master's degree and why you took your education so seriously. Because I, I just admire you for what you did. Um, honestly, being in the SEC played a big part because um, sometimes people are are big fish in small ponds. Mm. And I kind of got to Mizzou, and I was like, oh, like there's some talented kids in this region. And I had utmost faith in my talent. I was a second team all-SEC as a senior. I was top 10 in sacks my 
junior and senior year, and I was I led the league in TFLs. But when you're going against Dak Prescotts and Leonard Fournette's and Darius Geises and guys who are first round picks, you realize if you are blessed to make it to the NFL, you may not be in there longer than twelve months. The average yeah. career I think is three years, thirty six months. So um, a lot of Mizzou was just amazing at really pushing a career plan outside of football. Mm. And I credit them with a lot of it because you're kind of brainwashed into taking academics extremely serious when you first get there. Like you're very much really? so. Yes. Wow. You're very much so brainwashed. They give you a tutor, a mentor, psychologist, a big brother. Yeah. Like everything. Is that because they need you to be eligible? Um, or do they care? I mean, that's, that's an awful way to put that. Right, but right. do you think it's um, – it's it's, So what they do with the newcomers, they kind of test you. They mm. overload you with a lot of meetings, mm. with a lot of tutoring. And so by the time your second year comes around, they know what type of guy you are. Yeah. Because if you have four meetings you got to go to every day outside of football, if you're skipping those, they're going to be like, okay, this is the guy we're working with. Yeah. Now, if you're hitting everything, knocking out the park, you might only have that schedule for six months. Mm-hmm. And for me, like I had that schedule, and then the second semester I was there came around. I was like, dude, I like I got like almost all A's last semester. Why why am I still meeting with a mentor? Yeah, like I came from JUCO. I'm like 21 years old. Like I'm a grown man. Um, but just the they kind of brainwashed me into value and education. After I was brainwashed, I kind of was like, ooh, I can do something with this. Like I can actually change the outcome of my life, not just. Mm go to the league and do the typical, obviously my goal is to get back to the league. Like that's my ultimate goal. Yeah. But I knew if you get a master's, like your life just changes the opportunities. There's not many, many doors that you can't open at that point. There's just not many. Um, yeah. And that was my biggest, biggest goal was just having options by the time I hit my late twenties, early thirties. That was cool. When we talked, um, right as you were leaving Mizzou, you were talking about to me about how you wanted to use that opportunity to make mm-hmm. your life better. Like, if, if I'm going to play football, I'm going to get everything out of this experience I possibly mm-hmm. can. That sounds like that's your mindset, right? Yep. I love that. Yeah. That's so savvy and smart. I think a lot of people go, I'm going to go to the league and they get caught up and they don't mm-hmm. realize at some point, no matter how successful you are in football, mm-hmm. at some point, your career ends. It whether does. you're Sony Michelle, whether you're Tom Brady, Tom Brady's set for life. Mm-hmm. But a lot of guys have to find a way to make money or survive when their career is over. Right. You saw that. Right. And I just, I love that about you, man. It, it, it speaks so much about you and your character. Can I ask you, There, I stumbled for a minute earlier. I was like, what? Do, I had a question I wanted to talk about. I want to ask you about Drew Locke. Mm-hmm. You played with the Denver Broncos, second round pick. He was, he's a quarterback in Denver. He was your quarterback when you were at Mizzou. Mm-hmm. And you've spoken to me privately pretty highly about him. You you liked him. Talk about mm-hmm. him a little bit. What, what was it like to play with him? Um, Drew is just, he had a unique experience coming in. Um, he was kind of thrown to the fire. Um, the quarterback before him had some major injuries, and um, Drew basically he got thrown to a Mississippi State defense, a Florida defense, a Georgia defense. Um, as a true freshman, right? As a true freshman, we're mm. talking about big five-star NFL type of players. I um, mean, it was kind of like baptism by fire, <laughs> and he never folded. Um, yeah, honestly, nobody in that freshman class folded. They went through mm. the craziest probably four to five-year stretch out of any freshman class in that same or four or five year stretch and he never folded he was always just a guy's guy always um just a locker room dude yeah a lot of people kind of separate themselves in a locker room mm. and they stick to a clique i mean there's 120 people yeah you don't always you're not always cool with everybody yeah 
But for Drew to be such a public figure and such a public face of the program, to still be cool with everybody in that locker mm. room, um, I think it speaks volumes of um, who Drew is as a person. And his talent speaks for itself. Yeah. Oh, his, yeah. his arm strength, he has a prototyp- uh, prototypical body. All that stuff speaks for itself. Like he, he holds the SEC record for, I think, yards and touchdowns. Yeah. So those type of things are um, great. But the off the field stuff, this, the guy that Drew is, it's awesome. I think that's going to get him far. Mm. What's his work ethic like? He's um he's a he's a he's a hard worker. I mean, at that level, you don't have too many lazy people because they just don't make it. Yeah. At that level, if you're gonna be a, a, the starting quarterback of Mizzou. You're not lazy. You're not lazy, man. And that's the thing. Like nobody, the closest thing to lazy, I guess, would be us D linemen. And even the D linemen, <laughs> we're working extra every day after practice. But you know, we like to go get our chicken wings and things like that. But. <laughs> We're the closest thing to quote unquote lazy, but we're still putting in thirty to forty minutes extra every single day after a workout, and yeah. and we're doing all our summer stuff. So um, those quarterbacks, man, they're on it. They like live at the building. Yeah, yeah. Can I ask you? This is a personal question. You do not have to answer it, and please don't share too many specifics. But you're going to Seattle to play for the Dragons, right? What's your living situation like? You're living in a dorm with, or living in an apartment with three other teammates. What does that look like? I believe it's a, a hotel room downtown Seattle. Wow, okay. Do they put you up and take care of you? Yeah, so most of that stuff I won't have to worry about too much. Mm. I'll just worry about um, being in shape, obviously, and balling. Yeah, that's the hard part. When you're – like, I just got my own place, and it's it's overwhelming to Mm -hmm. – you've dealt with it. You're an adult. Like, worrying about all the other stuff when you just want to – I just want to make videos, right? I just want to do my show and my job. And then you're like, crap, I got to deal with this and that and landlord and garbage and all kinds of stuff. Mm It sounds like you don't have to worry about that, which is huge. It makes your football career so much easier to focus on. It's much easier. You can just ball. Right, right, right. That's cool. It sounds like the XFL is setting you guys up to succeed. Is that accurate? Yeah, they are. They're they're taking a lot of the business model of the CFL, I feel like. Not Mm -hmm. extremely high wages. Not super gaudy in the giving out gear and stuff like the NFL or college. Yeah. But they're paying wages that they're going to be able to pay out for at least three years. They're making it sustainable. Sustainable. They're not overindulging. That's the thing that kills me is when you see companies or whatever – they're like struggling. They're, they're with financially, and they're like giving away all this free stuff. Right. And they're spending a bunch of money on business trips. It's like, no, 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 you can't. Something like XFL is being smart with their money. Very smart in their business model. I, I'm hoping it succeeds. Um, yeah. Obviously, I play for them. I'm an employee <laughs> of them. Yeah. So, um, I have faith that they are, and uh, my agency has a lot of faith as well. So, where are the dragons? I, I'm so, by the way, so stoked. You're going to be playing. In, I'm going to come watch you and play in a game. Like it would be hard for me if you're like in Alabama. I'm like. Right. I can't go to St. Louis to watch you play. No, no, no. You're in Seattle, man. I get to come watch you. Right. I, I just, uh, what are the people like that you've met from the Seattle Dragons? Um, you know, they're they're awesome. The whole XFL organization has been awesome, and the way they did it, they had all these showcases. Mm. So the showcase I was at, I think we ended up with. You flew down to Dallas, right? Yeah, I went to Dallas. Yep. That was the initial one. So great airport, by the way. It was awesome. They have they have a couple of big airports, but um. Yeah, it was it was awesome. The XFL just seems high class organization. I'm sure the AFF was too. They hired a, a lot of AFF people and yeah. they got, they employed a lot of AFF. They took players. like the good parts of the AFF the and they bunch. did it their own way, a exactly. more sustainable way. Right. Kind of like the AFF as far as American players, kind of almost with some of the CFL business model. Okay. Yeah. By the way, you're going to get crucified in the comments. It's the AAF. I know that you don't care. I don't okay. care either. It doesn't matter. Right, right, right. <laughs> um I got a, a final question for you, uh, and then we'll just open up if you have anything else to share. But um, you're from Southeast Portland. Mm-hmm. I'm from Southeast Portland. And you have a tremendous – one of the things I admire about you tremendously is you, you, you're you responsible, you're great, but you also care so much about the community. Mm-hmm. 
of Southeast Portland. Mm-hmm. And you've been coaching high school football. You've been working with these guys. Uh, first of all, just what does Southeast Portland mean to you? Man, it's like um, it's home. And it's home for you understand Southeast. You, mm-hmm. you told me one time we were out at getting lunch, you were just like, Southeast is this place of highs and lows where you have the Harvard kids, you have the Cornell kids, you have Samson in the NFL, you have yeah. guys like you running your own talk show, you have Osa and Oa, you have um, tremendous success stories, but you also have prison, you also have yeah. death, you also have drugs, you have very scary and very real things. And the neighborhood, I think, when you can make it out of the meat grinder of Southeast, um, and not inner Southeast. A lot of people think, oh, see, you live Cesar Chavez in Belmont and Hawthorne. No, no, no dude. We, More towards Gresham. Yeah. We're like Gresham's backyard and forgotten Portland. So I think it's just a chip on your shoulder. Um, and the way a lot of people end up in Southeast, your parents, people's parents is not the first, it's not usually the first place you look for yeah. a poorhouse. Um, like us, we, we were in Northeast. We were a lot of people that got moved out from Northeast. I chose to live in Vancouver. I mean, right. that's a great example. Like that's as awful as that is. Um, I got to say, man, I, I grew up in Southeast Portland, mm-hmm. and then my, my junior year, moved to Vancouver. My mm-hmm. family, I wanted to play quarterback somewhere. My coach didn't want me at my old school, decided to move. Mm-hmm. And uh, we lived in a mobile home in Vancouver. But my, the difference in community, going from inner city Portland, Southeast Portland, mm-hmm. to a suburb, Vancouver, the, there's less extremes in Vancouver. Right, right. Everyone's moderately successful from Vancouver. Right. From David Douglas, from Southeast Portland, you have, again, guys in jail, who are dead in gangs. And then you have people who succeeded far more than anybody I met in Vancouver, Stanford, um, <laughs> Harvard, Yale. They're doing stuff for NASA. Like it's wild, right. the variance in, right. in Southeast Portland. And I think what I love about Southeast Portland is it's kind of a breeding ground. It makes you, it makes you tougher, really. It does, it does. I would send my kids to David Douglas High School. I'd send right. my kids out of the area because if you can get out of there, I think you can get out of anywhere. Oh, no doubt. It, it just forces you to make a decision. Do I want to succeed or not? Right. I, I love it, man. Um, you've been coaching high school football. There's a story that y- I, I want to tell about you that is so cool. You raised money for your players to get them to a camp. All right, all right. Can you tell me about that? Because I just saw that. I, I was on social media like, man, I already love Marcel and everything he's doing. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Right. You're raising money to help these high school kids. Tell me about that. Right. So um, so we're going to a camp in summertime. Um, and basically, I just our demographics, I, it was a lot of whispers with the kids like, need help with money yeah and so i was just going to pay the way of a couple kids yeah and then i was like dude i don't have three grand or two grand <laughs> i can't just pay the way of a bunch of kids so it just started off as somebody was like make a facebook post make an insta post post it on snap post it on twitter yeah and i did that in like the funny thing is most of the people who donated were from southeast portland the community came the community, together and it was like 30 dollars here 80 dollars here 100 yeah. bucks there think the biggest donation was only 150 yeah and what's funny is like it if you have a lot of people give a little like that's my i have a patreon that's how i survive and pay right. rent if like a 900 people give a dollar a month i survive right <laughs> and if, if enough people give a small amount mm-hmm. it doesn't take a lot and the right. community came together for that i did i loved it man and it was awesome and the kids loved it and they had a great time at the camp yeah. and it was big for them and they were like wow people care about us yeah and i think that was the biggest thing it, it, I'm sure to them, like when they look back on that moment, mm-hmm. when they're 25 and they look back on that camp and getting to go, that's, those are moments in my life where like I didn't appreciate them as much in the moment. Right. And I look back and go, man, I was so lucky to have my dad driving me around or right. this or that or a coach who believed in me. Um, I just commend you for caring about your players. That's so cool. Can you talk to you about, there's a couple guys specifically that you 
I don't you don't have to say their names. And please, right. actually, please don't because we'll get in trouble. But right. um, you, you, I've seen you develop these guys. Can you talk about just what that process looked like? Man, it's just talented kids, and you notice how talented they are, and you're like, okay, they need a little bit of mentorship. Yeah, they need to know how to lift weights. They need to know how to get off the ball, but. Super talented kid, just like when we went there. Yeah, you had NFL players walking the Isn't hallways. Isn't that wild? Yeah, like we had, we we played with Samson in the NFL. We played with uh, Owa went and Owa went there a couple years before us. He played mm-hmm. for the Giants. Osaru is going to probably play in the NFL. You played in the NFL. It's wild how many yeah. and we had I think more that could have. More that could have. I am so if I my I think my dream coaching job is at David Douglas High School mm-hmm. because I see the potential of that community. I would say, look, we're the beast from Southeast. Right. We have it harder than anybody. Yep. We're going to outwork you. Yep. And we are more physically, ta- we are more physically talented than any other area in Southeast. And Portland, the area, mm-hmm. there's so much talent there. There is. And I wish it could be utilized better. I, I don't want you to say more. I don't want to get you in trouble with David Douglas, but man, like I, I look at that program and go, there's so much potential there. Yeah. I would love to help with them. I just like, Oh man, yeah. I just, uh, is there anything else you want to share? I just want to say thank you for coming over. It's, I, I just love you as a human. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about or, or talk, you know, share? Well, I'm just excited about um, this XFL opportunity. I'm excited that you invited me over today. Um, mm. I'm excited for the kids at Douglas, man. Very talented kids. Keep your yeah. eyes on them in the coming years. Um, in the Final Four, shout out to Barlow and Central Catholic. Two teams <laughs> from the Mount Hood Conference are in the Final Four of Oregon. Yeah. And historically, they're kind of frowned upon a conference. But um, yeah. we got 50% of the, the Final Four this year, so... Can I say, before we go, I don't think people realize that, you know, Kendrick Bourne's from Portland, mm-hmm. and Dominican Sue is from Grant High School in Portland. There's a lot of talent from Portland. There's that a I ton think of talent. People have no idea. Like, oh, that guy's from, like, even people from Portland are not really into football, don't understand. Right. Oh, we have, a, like, a lot of talent here we in this do. city. We do. It's wild, man. Okay, uh, thank you so much for coming over. I just, uh, I love you, man. I really am rooting for you. You know, if you ever need anything, you can talk to me. Uh, and thank you so much for coming over. Appreciate it, my brother.